Is it okay to have a glass of wine with dinner? Let's take it a step further. Is it a sin to get drunk? As you may know, not every Christian or Bible teacher agrees on the answer to these questions. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll apply a little bit of wisdom to help us arrive at God's best decision for our lives. This is amazing grace. Well, maybe you have plans to go to a wedding or two in the not-too-distant future. Today on Abounding Grace, we find Jesus and His disciples at a wedding, and something miraculous is about to take place. Jesus turns water into wine. Some have totally missed the point of this passage in John chapter 2. As Pastor Ed Taylor pointed out last time, the real point of this miracle was Jesus wanting to manifest His glory so His disciples would believe in Him. Let's join Pastor Ed and hear more about it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw out now and take it to the master of the feast, and they took it. In this, these few verses, the water turned to wine. And as they put water in, they drew wine out, because miraculously Jesus changed the water into wine. Now, this was, these pots were used for ceremonial washing. Uh, according to the law, they were used as, to have water that were blessed and set apart so you could do the ceremonial washing and you could eat according to the law. 20 or 30 gallons. And they, Jesus, the, the need is going on. And we don't quite know where the disciples are, whether they were close, probably were, saw this all go down. And what Jesus tells them, he doesn't tell them to go find to the next door neighbor more wine or, or any of that. He says, he doesn't tell them like he does with the, um, uh, at the feeding of the thousands, does anybody have any food? He just says, go put water in those, in, in those clay pots. And you're like, yeah, I don't know, I put myself in, those sh- in, in the disciples' shoes. You want me to do what? You want me to put water in the, Why? Why do you want me to put water in the pots? It doesn't make any sense. What, water, pots, I, why? We, we need to ceremonially wash or, you know, I, we don't know exactly what they were thinking, but I can say this. When there are times that Jesus asks me to do something when I don't understand why, I ask him, why? Why? You know, like things like, you know, you want me to forgive them? Why? Don't you know? Don't you understand? Or I think of something simple, you know, you want me to go on the mission field, God? Why? I mean, I've worked my whole life to build up a career. I've just finished school, and, and you put a burn on my heart for a part of the country, you, a part of the world, and you want me to go on the mission field? Why? It doesn't make sense. Or you bought that Bible, and you intended it to give it to a gift to a family member, but you wake up on Monday morning, and the, God, and the Lord says, I want you to give that Bible to your boss. Why? My boss doesn't love God at all, and he'll fire me. He knows. You know, he told me, never give him a Bible, or he'll fire me. Why would you do that? I mean, can you imagine the, the, the reality of whys and how much they hold us back from just obeying God? Now, I don't think it's wrong to ask the questions. Ask all you want from the Lord. Just obey. And I see another principle here. Even when, and especially when you don't understand the why, obey seeking to find the love in the action. What do you mean by that, Ed? 
Well, again, let's take the Bible to your boss scenario. You know, God really loves your boss. There may be times when you don't, but God really loves your boss. He really cares about him. And he's been setting the whole thing up just for that Monday when you give him the Bible. (laughs) He's been sending people. He just went to a baseball game with his kids, and somebody at the baseball game was talking about God, and then he was over at King Supers, and the person that was doing the checkout was talking about God. And so the reason God dropped that into your heart is because you have a relationship with him, and now he's been setting it all up. And you're wondering, why? Why should I do this? What if I lose my job? But God doesn't. He already knows. This is a setup. He's ready, and you're going to be the last one where not only will you give him the Bible, but he's going to go, I've been waiting. What is it in your life? And then you share the gospel, and your boss get saved right there in your office. You're like, whoa! And, and I found a little um, quote that really fits well with this thought process. You might want to jot it down or think of it. I just thought it was cool because there's so many times where God will ask me to do something and I don't understand why. I don't even think I want to do it. Fill water in the pots. I mean, can't you get, why do we need to fill water in the pots? Isn't there somebody that water fill, you know, the, is there somebody here that fills the pots with water already? You know, all of that. And I love this, and let me quote it. It's not for us to ask the why, but simply to comply. I'm like, okay. It's not for us to ask the why. Let's Let's just do what God's called us to do. And you'll notice this time and time again. The disciples are confused about the why. I used it earlier. um, When they are feeding, when all those hungry thousands of people are there, and Jesus tells them, well, what do we have? How much food do we have? And you're like, what difference is it? They don't have, you don't have to understand. They don't have any idea that Jesus is about to blow their mind by multiplying the bread. and the, They have no idea. All they see is thousands of people hungry and talking, and it's loud, and, you know, you're grouchy. And, and they don't know why, but when Jesus asks them to do something, they just go do it. And then God shows up in a powerful way. And I want to encourage you to do that. God wants to show up in your life. And the way that he does is through your obedience. Obey him. Now, verse 9. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then that which is inferior, but you have kept the good wine until now. So typically, the good wine was served first, and then after everyone was kind of inebriated, then they would serve the cheaper stuff. And that's what he's saying here. But now, the best wine shows up through the hand of Jesus, and the master of the feast is going, this doesn't make sense. This, this doesn't make sense. What's going on? That the best has been saved for last instead of what you would normally expect. And that's just like Jesus. We expect one thing, and he does something completely different, just to blow our minds. We know here, these beginning of signs in verse 11, Jesus did in Cana, he manifested his glory. This was a glorious thing. And therefore, his disciples believed in him. That's why he made water into wine. There's a lot of reasons, but that's the main reason. To manifest his glory so that his disciples would believe in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, which, by the way, Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She had other children. Her and Joseph had natural marital relations and had kids. And you'll see that many times in the gospel. And his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Jesus, as at a celebration, he's enjoying it, and he sees a need. The wine and the joy is running out, and he takes water, and he makes it wine, and blesses those at the feast. So let's just talk about 
the difficulty of wine in the scriptures or in our modern day culture, alcohol in general. Although wine is used in the scriptures, you don't find whiskey or other types of alcohol in the Bible. But wine represents all that genre of alcoholic beverages uh, that exist. So let's just address that and let's talk about it together. What the Bible has to say. Why would Jesus make wine? We've already seen to manifest his glory. We've already seen that he is performing a miracle so his disciples will believe in him. But the wine specifically, let's not miss the obvious. Sometimes we come to passages like chapter 2 here. And we miss the obvious. I know as I was sharing with people, uh, you know, how, how alcohol is wrecking their life, how drunkenness is wrecking their life. And, and those that know the Bible will say, but wait a minute, you know, Jesus made wine in, in somewhere in the Bible. So if Jesus made wine somewhere in the Bible, it must be okay for me to get drunk. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but I've heard it, especially as I'm ministering to people coming from that background. And that's not what chapter 2 is about at all. It's not at all. Jesus is not advocating drunkenness, quite the opposite. But Jesus made wine simply to bring joy and happiness to a married couple in their celebration. His first miracle brought about joy and happiness to the people who were there. But it's actually more than that. It also shows that Jesus had at his immediate disposal unlimited power to do whatever he wanted. I mean, this is Messiah. He's preparing, he's, he's, he's showing himself to the world. He says, I have all power. It might seem small to us, but it shows that he has power over the elements that he can exercise whenever he wants. But there is that sense of, okay, wait a minute. What about alcohol? Jesus made wine, so it must be okay to get drunk. And, and when you're confronted with that, I've heard believers answer it in many different ways. One of the ways that it gets answered is, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, wine in the first century actually wasn't as strong as wine today. Uh, they mixed it with water. Let me just say that, that that actually is true. Most of the wine flowing through the first century was a mixture, you know, usually three parts water, two parts wine. And, and there was a purpose in that, that the alcohol would then kill off the parasites and all the microorganisms in water and make it safe to drink. There, there is a truth to that. There was much wine that was diluted with water during that day, and it was kind of a flavored water that was uh, taken in, and people drank that uh, in the first century. But secondly, there was also real wine where people were, you know, real people drank real wine and got really drunk. That was also wine, and I believe that that's the wine here at the feast. It says that they well drunk, which I believe means they drunk well, and there was real wine. And I think Jesus made real wine. But with those facts, is Jesus advocating drunkenness? I don't believe he is at all. I see a principle here. God gives his very best... And his best is always found in Jesus. Now, I want you to know, turn over to Proverbs chapter 20 with me, would you? Proverbs chapter 20. I want you to know, according to the Bible, there is never an admonition that a Christian or a follower of Jesus can't drink alcohol. You won't find that in the Bible. You find it over and over again not to get drunk. But you won't find a scripture that says... You cannot drink alcohol. It's one of those areas where you need to make the decision. Should I drink or by wisdom? And you know my background. You know where I've come from. You know how alcohol and drugs wrecked my life. I'm a very conservative person in these, these areas because I personally experienced the pain and heartache of a drunken life that I say be careful to heed the warnings of the Bible because the Bible has much to say about alcohol. And even though there's no passage there that says you must not, there are many, many, many passages that say, 
you got to be careful. This is a dangerous thing. Let me show you them together. Look at Proverbs with me, chapter 20. And if you were to come to me for advice, I would tell you with, with a biblical understanding, just stay away from it. Just stay away from it. it it's not, you can, I know all things are lawful for you, and I know you have freedom to do it, but not everything's edifying for you. You know, there's a lot of things in, in life that we can do that the Bible doesn't say we shouldn't. For example, the, the Bible doesn't say that, um, that you shouldn't rub poison ivy all over your body. So I don't know how many people do that, but it's just wise, right? You're just like, well, you know, I could do it if I want. Well, go ahead, but it's just not going to be good for you. Or, you know, the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to go down to I-25 and play frogger, you know, human frogger there, where you're trying to run across and run across until you get hit and run over. But you have enough wisdom to say, you know, that's not, that's not wise. And now with, in our state, now that marijuana and smoking marijuana and eating marijuana and drinking marijuana, everything about marijuana is legal, uh, I know, you know, I'll talk to people and they say it all the time, you know, the Bible says that God has given us every herb of the field to enjoy. I mean, but there's a lot of herbs you don't take in because they're poisonous. So you've got to walk in wisdom. This stuff leads you down a path. And you have to ask yourself, is it leading me down a path toward God? Because the Bible says that drunkenness is a sin. That's what the Bible says. And let me just say, you'll never get drunk if you don't take the first drink. Never. Ever, ever, ever. So let's hear, what what does the Bible say about drunkenness? alcohol, about wine. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. You're probably already there. Wine is a friend to you. No, it doesn't say that. Wine is a mocker. And intoxicating drink arouses brawling. It makes a person violent. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Turn over to chapter 23 now, verse 20. You know, the whole culture of the church is changing when it relates to alcohol And it's unfortunate because it's actually being invited into the very life of the church. You know, there are even some churches that have open bars in their church. That's how far it's gone. It's like, hey, man, we like everything here. Just here, go ahead and visit the bar before you come into service. And you're like gasping at that, but that's the world I live in because I'm reading about the church all the time. I need to know what's going on. Or there, there, are, serv- there are churches now that maybe on a smaller scale, um, they, they are now having mommy groups. They call them mommy and mojitos. I think that's some kind of alcoholic drink where you come through and put the kids in a room and we'll just make cocktails and talk about whatever we talk about. I just want you to know we're never going to have a community group like that here, ever. If you're going to get together, we want to get together about the things of the Lord. We want to, you, you have enough stuff in the world that when it comes to attach, like the world is looking for something. The world is seeking you, just like you and I were. They're looking for something different. They're looking for something that is going to lift them out of the pit, not bring them into the pit. And so we want to keep your eyes on the Lord. I realize, and I, I want to be very clear here, I realize that you have the freedom to do it. I acknowledge it. And I accept it. I'm just telling you that you make other wise decisions with your freedom. Consider this too. Notice this in chapter 23, uh, verse 20. The Bible says actually wine can make you poor. Do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. And drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Look at verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without a cause? Who has redness of eyes? This sounds like somebody that had a night of partying. I could tell you who. People that were partying last night. 
those that linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Look at chapter 23, verse 31. Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. Why? Because at last it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You ever been around a drunk? And out of their mouth comes the worst, hateful, meanful things because all their defenses have been worn down because of alcohol. It's just very dangerous. Look at chapter 31. This is speaking to those in positions of leadership. This is the Bible. This is not anyone's opinion. This is God's opinion. That's what the Bible says. This is the words it says of verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son? What, my son of my womb? What, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of the afflicted. Turn over to Matthew chapter 26 for one final word before we enter into communion. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus made a statement that's very profound about wine and drinking wine. Because wine was a very normal part of the Passover meal. Not in a drunken way either. Wine has many representations, many pictures in the scripture. But here's what Jesus said about wine in Matthew chapter 26. Pick up with me in verse 28. Matthew 26. You know, a lot of people are attracted to the ministry here at Calvary because of my background. They're caught up in it. They, they've stumbled by it. They got a DUI. They go to jail. They have to do community service or, or you know, even worse. Um, we even have people in our, in our congregation that they've lost a loved one. They've lost a dad or a mom to a drunk driver that just bowled over them. You know, this is serious stuff in our society. We don't talk a lot about it, but it's serious. It's more than just exercising freedom. It's like, man, th- this has done great destruction. This, this is heavy stuff. And so even for that brother that has, has in his life, he lost his dad because of a drunk driver. Well, I don't want to stumble that brother. I, I, don't want him, I don't want him stumbled. I want somebody that has a problem with alcohol stumbled because of my freedoms and your freedoms. I, I just think it's wise and it's biblical. And I think that in our culture, wine and alcohol has become something far more than what it was in the first century. And we need to be very careful to walk in wisdom so that we can honor people, let alone honoring ourselves. How many DUIs do you need to get? How many, how many ugly things do you need to say? How, how many? And I know I'm speaking to a select few, but I believe the Lord is speaking to you. I believe the Lord wants to deliver you and free you. We have a whole ministry here of people. You know, they're asking, they wonder, can I ever get over this? I just want you to know, yes, God will deliver you from the addiction to alcohol and drugs. Well, Ed, well, how do you know? Well, I know what the Bible says. But I also know I'm living proof. I'm standing here today. You know, when I got saved, I was delivered instantly. I, I praise God for that. Not everybody is. Alcohol was gone. Drugs were gone. Even cigarette smoking, gone. Boom, in a moment. God, I was born again, and I believe what God had to say. Now for 23 plus years, I've lived a sober life, a clean life. I'm not recovering from anything. I'm delivered. I'm free. I can live for the things of God. I have a sober mind now. I I don't want to self-medicate myself. And and I want you to know that there's hope for you. There's freedom for you. You know, a lot of times it is self-medication. I'm talking to a brother after first service, just praying for him because that's what he's been doing. And he's fallen into drunkenness sometimes, and he's kind of beating himself up, and there's condemnation. And and even in the dark times, you know, the the times where you would think, like, I don't want to feel the pain anymore. Uh, I don't want to go through it. Even in my own life, I didn't even have... Not any renegade thought in my mind to go back to that. 
I'd just rather take the pain and stay sober so I can, I don't want to lose my connection with God. I want to keep it. (laughs) I want it to be stronger. Here's what Jesus says as we end. Verse 28, Matthew 26. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus is saying he is not going to drink of wine again until we meet him in the kingdom, I believe, at the marriage feast of the Lamb. So if Jesus can wait for heaven, so can I. And I'll just wait for heaven. And whatever it is in heaven, I know it's not going to be sinful. I know it's not going to be drunken. And whatever God serves to me will be the best. And I will receive it from him. So if Jesus can wait for heaven when it comes to alcohol, so can I. And that's what I would say to you to consider today. You have a lot of things to consider today. That I believe God would expand your heart and your mind to reach the lost for the gospel. To be a vessel for him to be used mightily, to be at your best condition, not your worst, and not in a place of compromise. Bad stuff happens with alcohol. Bad stuff happens with drugs. And so let's just be in a place where we're hanging out with Jesus, but we're not sinning. That's the key. We're on a journey through John here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our Bible teacher. And Pastor Ed, before we let you go, You made reference to your testimony here briefly as you spoke about the dangers of alcohol consumption. We obviously don't have time to go into it in great detail, but could you give us the Cliff Notes version? Oh, wow, Larry, the Cliff Notes version. Well, here I was a sinner. (laughs) I was blind and now I can see. That's the best Cliff Notes. But I mean, alcohol destroyed my life, alcohol and drugs. I took my first drink of alcohol between the sixth and the seventh grade, as I recall, at a friend's house, uh, it was his dad's, and that little little would I know that that one drink would lead to year after year after year after year of destruction. And, and I know that alcohol doesn't affect people the same way, but we don't want to find out, and we don't want to find such tragedy and difficulty. I mean, you can learn by experience, right? But not you don't. It doesn't always have to be your experience. You can learn from my experience. And I just, every major problem in my life was directly related to drugs or alcohol. And it devastated my life, destroyed the people that I loved. And I'm so grateful that even though I was deep in the pit, the Lord delivered me. And let me just say to those of you listening right now, uh, those that are in bondage to alcohol, those that might be considering themselves an addict or in recovery, the Lord is for you as you turn for, to him. As you turn away, God will give you the strength to help you overcome and live a life of sobriety, right? Don't be drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. That is your promise by faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that it's a touchy subject, and I appreciate that. But knowing where I came from, I just encourage people, stay away from it. You'll never be drunk if you never take the first drink. You'll never find out if you're an addict if you just stay away from it. And as they're beginning to legalize all kinds of things now, like marijuana and mushrooms and psychedelics and even prescription drugs, the Lord wants to help you live an overcoming life. And I know that I'm here now, 31 years sober, 31 years delivered, 31 years Um, with the years that the locust has eaten restored, and the Lord gives you that promise as well. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. 
Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. We're really excited about this month's offer. It's a book written by Chuck Smith. It's Love, The More Excellent Way. We say and sing that love makes the world go around, that love is the answer, and all you need is love. But what is love, really? And why is it so hard for so many to find? That and more is explored in Love, The More Excellent Way. And we'll send it your way with the gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our online store at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support. We rely on the support of our listeners to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed, and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We'll return to the Gospel of John next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.